Our Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us something more precious than silver or gold. And we recognize that sometimes it takes suffering, it takes difficulty for us to appreciate this. But we thank you for your word this morning. And we pray now that by your Holy Spirit you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Well, uh, the experts tell us that um, Dundee is a city on the up. Um, Apparently, it is one of the the trendiest places to live in the UK. Did you know that? If you're new, I wonder if you'd agree with that. If you're old, um, it wasn't always this way, was it? Um, But the motto of Dundee City Council, which you will all know by heart, I'm sure, is changing for the future changing for the future. And uh, our passage this morning is about another city that's, uh, that went through a change. It went from being a city of man, a city of men, to a city of God. And what I want us to do is take a tour of this city this morning. And uh, though I think this passage is all about second chances, I want us to see three things this morning from Jonah chapter 3. And the first thing I want us to see is a second chance for God's servant. A second chance for God's servant. Now, um, Lawrence Peter Yogi Berra was uh, an American baseball player. He died in 2015. He was as famous for his way with words as his uh, way with a bat and a glove. And his sayings became known as um, Yogiisms. Okay, he was um, asked about the chances of his team winning the National League. He replied, it ain't over till it's over. Some of you may have heard that saying. Questioned about why he never went to a particular um, restaurant, he simply said, nobody goes there anymore, it's too crowded. But of all his yogiisms, the most famous is this, it's deja vu all over again. Deja vu all over again. Well, there's a sense of deja vu, isn't there, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. And the word of the Lord, it comes to Jonah for a second time. Uh, God calls out to him. And this time he doesn't run, this time he obeys. And as he does, what I think Jonah becomes is a kind of embodiment of of the very message that he brings to these people. God has turned him around, and now he is called to help others turn around. And this is a principle we see in in Scripture in many places. It's something we see in church history. Those who were once rebels against God, used by God to seek to save the lost. And in his second letter to um, a church in another great city, Corinth, Paul says uh, this. He's talking about his ministry, talking about uh, the kind of ministry I spoke to the children about. And he says, it is through God's mercy we have this ministry. In other words, Paul's saying, I don't deserve any of this. I was saved by God's mercy, but I also serve because of God's mercy mercy. And Jonah was very much the same. 
saved by God's mercy, serving because of God's mercy. And so uh, are you and I. When we grasp that, when we realize that, when we come to see that all that we're enabled to do for the Lord Jesus Christ is, is, a, is a grace gift, something that God has prepared in advance for us to do, that changes the way that we do that work. When that happens, maybe we start to think like this, through God's mercy, I get to read a Bible story to my child or my grandchild. Through God's mercy, I get to pray for God's work in in a country that I've never been to. Through God's mercy, I get to listen to the troubles that a friend is facing. Through God's mercy, I get to preach in Jonah chapter 3. God is a God of mercy, a God of second chances. And I think Jonah was someone who was discovering all of that. Some of you, maybe this morning, you're discovering that too. Uh, Last Sunday night, we were looking in Galatians. We thought a little bit about Peter. And that was his story, wasn't it? A second chance. Uh, Peter denied Jesus. Uh, Peter the Great. Peter the Rock crumbled. But he was rebuilt. He was used again by God. And maybe today you're, you feel like Peter or you feel like Jonah, or maybe you know someone who feels like that. You've failed Jesus. Maybe this morning you feel too ashamed to come near to him. Maybe you think that your best days of serving Jesus are, are behind you in a kind of golden age in the past. But what we always need to remember is that the wonderful thing about being a Christian, belonging to Jesus, is that failure is never final. Failure is never final. God is able to redeem our past. God can transfigure our past. And in his providence, he can even use the the times that we suffered or the times that we ran, the sins that we maybe mourn now, all of these things, God is so great that he can even use these things to make us more suited to help other people in the future. That is how good God is. God is the God of all grace. And so maybe this morning you need a reminder of that. So we see a second chance for God's servant here. The second thing we see though is a second chance for God's enemies, a second chance for God's enemies. Um, Now, Nineveh, which is um, modern-day Mosul in Iraq, it was a a strategic city. It was like all the great cities of the world, um, London, Venice, Dundee, it was by a river. And uh, this meant that it was a very prosperous city. And if you go to room nine of the British Museum in London, Uh, you'll see evidence of this. The Assyrian Empire uh, was extremely wealthy, uh, cultured. Many of its treasures are preserved for us. It was strategic. It was prosperous. It was really impressive, but it was godless. The citizens of Nineveh, they were people outside of God's covenant community. And they were people who would one day even take God's people captive. And yet, God so loved the Ninevites that he sent a special prophet 
that whoever believed him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Perhaps you can picture Jonah wandering into the city. We're told it took three days to explore. And no doubt, all the sights, the smells, the sounds, they would have overwhelmed him. But look at the message he shared with these people. You can see it in verse 4. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, some people have wondered if um, that statement is everything that Jonah said. It could be the case. Um, or it could be a bit like um, a summary. So, if we're listening to the, the radio and we hear that Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss will or won't lower taxes, if they've said that in a speech, if the, the radio presenter has summed up that whole speech in a short sentence like that, uh, maybe we can realize that it's the speech in a nutshell. That might have been what's going on here. But I wonder if you can see the grace in this message. Maybe that seems a, a surprising word to use. Through, God, through Jonah, God is giving this whole city a chance to repent. He's giving them a window of opportunity. Here are people who are, who are made in God's image, who've enjoyed all the good things that God gives, and yet there are people who've suppressed the truth. They've been violent. They've lived as though God doesn't exist. And yet God, in His grace, is willing to wake them up. God wants them to see the danger they are in. That's the kind of God that he is. Now, you may know that in the Bible, the number 40 is um, significant. The flood lasted 40 days. Moses was in Sinai for 40 days. God's people were in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus fasted for 40 days. They were, there were 40 days from his resurrection to his ascension. And for the Ninevites, these 40 days, they are to be a time of reflection and repentance. And they've been told, you have a problem. This situation cannot go on forever. Now, there are lots of dangers, aren't there? Lots of things that our society is really worried about. I think especially at the moment, things like climate change, the economy, healthcare. Um, division in society. But when we look at the world around us, um, there's a need for us to engage in what the medics call triage. Triage. And not every medical problem is equally serious. And faced with an A&E department that is full, there is often, always, isn't there, a need to prioritize. And the same is true for for human beings, there is one danger that is greater than all other dangers, one problem that is bigger than all the rest, and that is the danger of God's judgment. That is the number one problem facing Scotland today, and that is your great danger this morning if you are not a Christian. Book of Hebrews puts it this way, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I wonder if we believe that. Whether we believe that or not doesn't change the fact of it. 
And remembering God's judgment, that is something that will change us as a church. If we delete the idea of God's judgment, God's wrath from our belief system as a church, that will change us. But remembering it will change us too. It will shape what we give and what we pray for. It will create a sense of urgency about our witness. Sometimes I look at myself, I look at my generation, I wonder if we think about this at all. Do we have the same belief in God's judgment that our spiritual parents and grandparents had? Or are we embarrassed by them? Are they like embarrassing um, parts of our family that we don't want to talk about? Do we realize what we've been saved from? Now, Jonah is not the only preacher in this passage. We meet the second preacher in verse 6. Look at what the king of Nineveh calls his people to do when he hears Jonah's message. And I think this is a reminder of the importance of us praying for people in authority, for kings, for those in high positions. As they hear, as the people hear this proclamation, look at the impact of it. They get low before God. They fast. They pray. They wear sackcloth. And all of these things, these are outward acts that show that something is going on inside of them. They're being changed by God. They're suddenly facing up to reality. And from the greatest to the lowest, all of them are involved. Even the animals are included. But look up at verse 5. Who is it that they believe? They believe God. And they hear Jonah, they hear the king, but they hear a third voice. They hear God himself speaking. And this is what happens when people become Christians. Listen to Paul again speaking about his visit to the city of Thessalonica. He says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God. This is what we're to pray for in our witness as a church, that people would have ears to hear, that they would understand who it is that is actually speaking to them, that they would turn from their sins and experience the same mercy, the same grace that the Ninevites experienced. And so this morning, is there maybe one person, one person that you or I are praying for. We need to remember that God really can open the eyes of the blind, that he is able to bring people out of darkness into his light, people like the Ninevites, people like our family and our friends, people like us. And that takes me to the final thing I want us to see this morning. In this passage, we see a second chance for God's servant. We see a second chance for God's enemies, but we also see a second chance for anyone, a second chance for anyone. Now, as you uh, look at this passage, maybe especially at verse 10, I wonder if you've got questions about verse 10. And uh, one of the most important things that we can know about God is that he is unchanging. 
But maybe if you look at verse 10, uh, you think, doesn't that verse seem to contradict this idea? We know when God is, when God is un- we know that God is unchanging, that can be a great comfort to us in a crisis or when we are suffering. But doesn't this verse seem to kind of indicate that God is changing his mind? Uh, this passage and others like it, they've led some people to believe that God's plans are kind of uncertain, that God hopes that certain things will, will happen, that it's all um, in flux, it's all uncertain. But when Scripture speaks like this, we need to realize that God, what God is doing is using human language to communicate to us, using categories we can understand to accommodate to us. He's speaking in ways that we can grasp. Uh, The theologian Matthew Barrett, who's written some um, really wonderful books about what we call the doctrine of God, he puts it like this. He says, although in that moment it appears as if God has changed his mind, if we have a bird's eye view, we see that God is doing what he has promised or intended all along. God sent Jonah to threaten Nineveh, but God intended that that threat itself would be the means by which this people would receive God's mercy. God has not changed his mind. God has fulfilled what he immutably willed from eternity, that Nineveh would be saved. He's used the threat to show his mercy. See, God was working his plans, his purposes out. God was saving. And friends, God hasn't changed. He's doing the same today. And this gospel, the message of Jesus, is for anyone. And as we think about this point, what I want to do, I want to take you to two other cities. I want us to go from Nineveh to two other places. The first city is Jerusalem. Um, Two-thirds of uh, Luke's gospel, in fact, a lot of all of the gospels is made up with Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter 9, Jesus, he sets his face to go there. In chapter 11 of Luke, people come to him, they demand a sign. Jesus says, no sign will be given but the sign of Jonah. The men of Nineveh will condemn this generation. One greater than Jonah is here. In chapter 13 of Luke, he imagines standing outside the city, he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you killed the prophets, you stoned those sent to you. I have longed to gather you under my wings but you're not willing. And then in chapter 19, as he enters that city to be rejected, to suffer, Jesus weeps. If only you had known what would bring you peace. And going to Jerusalem, Jesus goes to the the religious establishment of his day, people who loved the scriptures, people who were elder brother types, people like Jonah, And he says to them, none of you realize this, but all of you need me. And the same is true today. No matter how moral we are, no matter how good we are, no matter how much of the Bible we may have read, all of us need Jesus. But come with me to another city. Come with me to Athens. In Acts 17, Paul speaking on Mars Hill. And he's speaking to a very different audience. 
Um, unlike Jerusalem, the citizens of this city, they, they don't know the scriptures. Uh, they were a different kind of people. They were very um, intellectually able. They were curious about the world. They were uh, like a lot of the students that come to St. Peter's. They like to stay up late, like to go to coffee shops, talk about big ideas, big problems in the world. But they were people who were keeping their options open when it came to faith. They were worshiping an unknown God. And Paul says, let me tell you all about him. This God made you. He didn't make you. You didn't make him. He made the world. He doesn't live in a temple. And in him you live and move and have your being. And so he commands all people to repent. He set a day. One day he will judge the world. And the proof that that will happen is that Jesus is risen from the dead. Can you see that the, the same message comes to all three of these cities, Nineveh, Jerusalem, Athens. Each one of them has to, each one of these um, cities are called to respond to God, called to repent, called to see their need. And so this morning, friends, do we, do we need a reminder that the end has already begun. The clock is ticking. You and I, we live in between the time of the, the first, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one more event in God's calendar. And one day, Jew or Gentile, insider or outsider, one day we will all meet Jesus as Savior or judge. And today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to come to him. Now, the Statue of Liberty, it uh, was a gift to America from the people of France. It stands at the entrance to New York City. And it has this inscription. It says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. And that is so like the Lord Jesus Christ. He's so inclusive. Whoever you are, whatever you have done, however long you've hid, however long you've run away from him, you can come back to him. And how do you do that? How do you come back to Jesus? You come back to him with open hands. You come to him simply. You come to him and say, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And if you do that, he will never abandon you. He will never reject you. He'll never turn you away. That's the kind of savior he is. And I know that um, probably most of us this morning here have done that. And so this morning, if you've come to him already, I want you to remember that he has not changed. He is still full of grace and mercy for you. And so this morning, I want, I hope these Ninevites will break your heart. I hope they'll remind you that God loves runaways. And this morning, let this passage, let it give you hope for the prodigals in your life. Jesus is able to save anyone.
and not all who wander are lost. Well, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that in your kingdom, failure is never final. Thank you that we are saved and we serve you by your mercy. And so we praise you this morning for your commitment, and not just to save, but to keep a people for yourself. Thank you that this is the kind of God you are. Thank you that you are seeking those who will worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray that we would be these people this morning, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.